I was in so much pain from what was going on that I thought for a split second as I looked at the, the gun, is this the, is this the solution? I'm in so much pain right now. I don't even know. I don't even know who I am right now. Um, I talked myself out of it, put the lock on. I went outside. I, uh, I found one of my crew leaders who was uh, a Marine vet. I thank God he was there. Uh, I gave him the keys and he looked at me. No one knew what was going on. My wife didn't know. I didn't know. He didn't. And I said, I just need you to take these for today. And he looked at me and he said, are you okay? And I said, I I think so. Welcome to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members make the transition from the military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including such things as nightmares, rage, and isolation. Veterans and family members in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting Orban Foundation at OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. Please consider donating at OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org forward slash donate. The Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Thank you for choosing to make this journey with us. Here is today's segment. Welcome to another continuing education of the Stigma-Free Vet Zone. We're going to continue our conversation today with Matt McDonald, who uh, served as an infantry airborne soldier deployed to Afghanistan in 2012 and 2013. Matt is also the executive director of Next 18, which he is now going to share with us, get to the point where he's sharing his nonprofit organization. I'm going to blow the cover for him because I think it's a wonderful thing, and it involves the the sport of golf, uh, which is something that a lot of us who have played in the past and played today is very, very important. So we are going to go back and uh, welcome Matt. Uh, Thanks for coming back to us, and, and thanks for now continuing. You have returned from Afghanistan and you are going to continue now. You had the expectations of coming home to uh, just life is very successful and continuing on and, and all um, establishing business, family, and that sort of thing. But now tell us what actually happens when you get home, and we'll go on and just give you the microphone and say thank you for sharing this important educational part of your experience. Thank you for having me back. So post-military was set up from the last 12 months in the military. I spent at a WTU, which is a warrior transition unit. Uh, This is where you're moved if they deem you unfit for service. Mainly it's from injuries, uh, whether it's in combat or something happened to you while you were back in your unit. Uh, For me, at the time, it was a lot of uh, TBI and cognitive damage from blast exposure and firing of a large caliber weapon over nine months and uh, injuries from jumping. I don't think I had a good jump once in the military, upside down in trees. Everything you could think of happened to me. So I had 12 months to start my transition. I had a jump start to that, and I uh, I enrolled into school. At the time, I had an associate's degree. I joined the military, I figured that would be good enough for me because I was going to be in the military for 20 years and do that. Uh, so I enrolled into college, started taking care of my bachelor's degree. I was doing that all remote through a college in America while I was in Germany. And I started to discuss with a fellow veteran of mine who I knew from back home that we were going to start a lawn and snow company. I had done landscaping when I was younger. I, I liked being outdoors. It seemed like a good fit for a veteran getting out that didn't want to work in corporate America. And so I had a plan at the time. I, I had since gotten married after my deployment. Um, and we were coming back to a very nice suburb of Milwaukee. Uh, again, middle, middle class to upper class in that area. Everything was playing out the way that the stereotypical 
proper image of the vet coming home, doing the right things, the, the, the job, starting my own business, entrepreneur track, doing all that. I, I went through the Boots to Business program while I was going through TAP, while I was service member. Um, when I got out, I furthered that with Entrepreneurship Boot Camp for Vets with Disabilities. It was a program run through St. Joe's that I am forever grateful for. Uh, I was one of the f- I was the first cohort in St. Joe's to go out there. There was twenty of us. It was people, veterans that were disabled that were getting into entrepreneurship or nonprofits, and the level of support and quality of names that were there was astonishing. Any business owner in America would kill to go to this this program. It was about ten days long. Everything was paid for. Subsequently, they had other programs. Uh, when my business got to the point where it was time to uh, go through the growth phase and the expansion, uh, EBV Accelerate, that was a program down in Texas where they brought all these business owners that were vets that were at that point, right? You had hit the three-year mark and you were ready to start expanding your business. You had made it and you were going to keep going. So all of these resources I learned about while I was going through the WTU. So I I think I had a little bit of a leg up, but at the same time, I was a little bit older. I had life experience before the military. So I think in general, I kind of knew, or I thought I knew what it was going to be like when you go home. Right. And I, even though I had gone through the WTU and I had been labeled as having PTSD and all of these, uh, TBI, uh, cognitive issues, bilateral knee injuries, bilateral shoulder issues, uh, upper and lower back injuries, typical airborne infantry injuries uh, that had been in combat, I thought I was fine. I was fine. Um, And so I I got out. Uh, We spent the first, I think, like five months living with uh, my my ex's um, grandmother uh, at her house in like a third-story bungalow while we found our house and did that whole process, and I reintegrated then we got into our house. The business started almost immediately, and the the growth. When I sold my business in mid twenty nineteen, I already had I think like eight or nine employees. I had three crews operating. I had gotten in with a local um, commercial entity here doing property man like cutting all of these large properties. So I had close to three, four, five hundred clients among everything. So, and I was hiring vets. I had a homeless vet that I had been able to hire as well. Um, so everything was going great. And about twenty mid twenty eighteen, uh, my my mental health provider at the VA had approached me, and at the time, I was taking twenty milligrams of diazepam and twenty milligrams of Ambien. And I had been on the Ambien since probably uh, mid twenty fifteen. That was given to me while I was on active duty, uh, for sleep, nightmares, issues from deployment. Um and the diazepam was given to me by uh another provider at the VA and that was supposed to be for uh, post-concussive migraines. And over the, the migraines that I had, I was clenching my jaw constantly. So I had gotten TMJ, which basically is uh, painful in your jaw. The doctor approached me and he said, we've identified that this uh, diazepam is, is not good in, in no shorter terms than that. It, it wasn't good and we need to start getting soldiers off of it. I think they said it was like being identified as being worse than opioids. So this was like the next opioid down the pipeline. I said, okay. Uh, even, even in the moment when I was being told this, I was just like, okay, this is, you know, it's like stopping taking Tylenol. I had never taken stuff in my life. I never had addiction problems. I'd never had drinking issues. Uh, this was just like, all right, you're telling a soldier to stop taking meds. Cool. I'll be done in two weeks. The guidance from them was you can take a half a dose of both of these for two weeks, and then you can stop cold turkey. So I did everything they said, um, started titrating off those two weeks, and that, that, third, that 15th day I stopped taking my pills. And looking back on it now, I remember maybe like seven or eight days into it, I remember I was in my house and my, my ex was um, – making dinner or whatever we were making food and I remember drinking water and I was like god 
something wrong with this water? And she tried it and she said, no. And I, I even went out to like Ace Hardware and got a uh, water testing kit and it came back fine. But to me, it tasted like metal. And I didn't know what was going on. I was oblivious to because I don't have experience with this. 14 days into cold turkey, I woke up in the morning and my my ex had already left to go to work. Um, and my employees at the time I was running the business through the house uh, saving costs, they all came to the house. And I remember trying to walk down the stairs from our bedroom and I felt like I was drunk. I I couldn't. I couldn't see straight, but I hadn't drunk the night before, and I didn't really, I don't drink that much in general. Uh, I hadn't done anything out of the, the normal. I, I felt fine, but I just I couldn't operate. Like something, something wasn't firing. So I got downstairs, and I'm sitting at the table while the guys are outside getting all the trucks ready with the equipment, and I remember thinking to myself, something's not right, and the thought crossed my mind, what do you need to do right now to make sure you get through the next five minutes? And that had never crossed my mind before. And I said, go lock your weapons. So I went upstairs. Uh, I, I locked my assault rifle. Um, and I, I was getting ready to lock my pistol, which uh, was, was by my bed, um, secure. And as I picked it up, I, I looked at it. And I... <laughs> I was in so much pain from what was going on that I thought for a split second as I looked at the, the gun, is this the, is this the solution? I'm in so much pain right now. I don't even know, I don't even know who I am right now. Um, I talked myself out of it, put the lock on. I went outside. I, uh, I found one of my crew leaders who was uh, a Marine vet. I, thank God he was there. Uh, I gave him the keys, and he looked at me. No one knew what was going on. My wife didn't know. I didn't know. He didn't. And I said, I just need you to take these for today. And he looked at me and he said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I, th I think so. Just, I tried to play it off. Just take the keys. Do your thing, please. Go back in the house, fall down, broke into tears, started crying on my, my floor. And I'm thinking, I think I almost just killed myself. And why am I thinking this? I called my, the first person I called was my doctor from Germany, uh, amazing, amazing doctor who had been my, one of my TBI uh, advocates, and she worked in the TBI, uh, and I told her what was going on, and I, I said, I don't know what's going on. She said, I think you're going through withdrawals. Go take two of the pills. I, against my recommendation, but I think this is like to get you through the next like five minutes, go take just please. So I took them and 10 minutes later, I was back to normal. It was as if my like the light switch had turned on. And it was at that moment that I finally realized, like, I, I think I'm I think I'm going through severe withdrawals. A week later, we're at a wedding for one of my my friends and her husband and the gentleman sitting at the table was the the, the husband's, the groom's uh, uncle. And him and his brother were randomly talking about benzodiazepines. And my, my ex heard them and chimed in and said, what are you talking about? Who are you? They identified who they were. We identified us. And they, that's when I found out that benzos were worse than opioids, or that's what they're finding out. And it was like, of all people to be sitting next to at this random wedding, it's you. They coached me, coached us through what we needed to do. I talked, I got in touch with his old, I believe it's his old business partner, uh, a, psychi or a psychologist out in uh, out here by me, uh, who is also a vet. And he and his psychiatrist, it took, it took close to 18 months to incrementally I'm, I'm talking sliver at a time so week one would be your body's getting used to the new dose week two you're cutting down week three you're adjusting and going through withdrawals week four you're adjusting week incrementally for 18 months 
Um, I don't remember much of that time period. I'm pretty sure I was in a mental fog. My body was trying to get get the med, but also get rid of the meds. And it it I had to sell my business. I had to. We got divorced. It was too much for both of us. Um, so at the end of the day, this improper cessation plan that was put forth kind of ruined everything that I had been building to that point. Um, I got through it. I, I'm fine mentally and physically. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm in a, a really healthy place right now. Um, I have a really healthy partner that's been with me uh, for a little bit of time now. And all of this happened and everything transpired. And at the end of the day, when I sold the business, I said, I, I need to get into something I finally have empathy for what vets go through. I, f- I have my hurdle. This is what happened to me. And you hear all the stories when you get out. You're going to get overweight. You're not going to work out. You know, all these things that I was like, those aren't, that's not going to be an issue for me. It was this un- unforeseen thing that I didn't even, I didn't know I was taking this thing. I knew I was taking it, but I didn't know what these pills were doing to me. And every six to eight months, I would go in, and my migraines, my jaw pain, it's getting worse. And the dose would just get up, upped, like, incrementally. I think I started on, like, five milligrams of each, and by the end of the day, I'm taking 20 of each. And after all the research that my ex has done and I have done, and I shouldn't have even been on these pills for, like, the amount of years that I was on them. And I'm not trying to badmouth the VA I understand there's only so much that can be done in the moment and the caseload that these doctors have, I get it. The titration and cessation plans, if you're going to give someone something, you need to know. If you know how to give it to me, you need to know how to pull me off of it. So that really, that threw a wrench in everything. Um, And looking back on hindsight, the meds really masked a lot of things. I mean, I, I still have, I still have chronic migraines. I still have jaw pain. I still have pain. I've just learned over the years from attending camps such as uh, Semper Fi Fund. They offer like adaptive sports programs. So I learned how to sail one summer for five days, and it's all camaraderie. And you're with other vets, and you're all networking, and you're sharing. And some of these camps offer maybe like a, a yoga class or a breathwork class, and I started seeing these camps and I, I didn't buy into it at all at first. I remember going to my first camp and I was like, this is the people that I saw there didn't look like me. They were overweight. Um, some were overweight, some were missing limbs. I, I don't have that. And I, I just, I didn't connect with it at, right away. Uh, let me just stop for a second. We're, we're chatting with uh, Matt McDonald who's sharing with us his experience at coming home. <clears throat> I, excuse me, I took coffee here because this is, this is very, very educational, very, very informative. But I want to stop and just ask you, before you get to the camps, uh, you said that you had problems sleeping. Mm-hmm. This is something to start the medication. So going back to when you first came home, the issue immediately was sleep. Yes. Is that fair to say? Migraines. And migraines. But the sleep is so very, very common to many of us to come home and the sleep issues. I would just like to ask you, would it be fair to say to our entire audience, watch your sleep habits. And and if there's issues there, uh, be very, very careful that that this is the onset of what will lead, could lead to things that many of us did, the, the drinking, the depression, the other things, if we don't really attack it from the beginning and get some educational advice on what to do about the sleep issues and it's it's not even combat vets it's civilians everyone in general the the what is put in front of us these days with social media and our phones in our hands and just life uh working too much everything it all adds up uh so yeah and then you add combat into that and the things that we've seen and gone through and just being in a place where for three weeks you're going through training and you're only getting four hours of sleep or you're going out in Afghanistan, you're on missions and your sleep schedule is completely ruined, right? You're, you're in firefights during the day, but then you get two hours of sleep and then you're in a guard tower. Like all of these things 
wreak havoc on a sleep schedule, your circadian rhythm, right? All of this stuff. And if you don't pay attention to it, it falls apart and then you're laying in bed every night and you're, you're wondering why you can't sleep. Well, if you're not sleeping, you're not regenerating. And if you're not regenerating, you're, you're falling apart. And it, it is just a matter of time till the cracks start showing and eventually chunks start breaking off. That's an excellent way of putting it. But let, let, let me add to this or just ask you this, Matt. What does the influence of stigma at that time, you're, or, or maybe, if it's, maybe it's not even stigma, but you're coming home, you're a soldier, you're having difficulty sleeping. Do you think it's just going to go away? This is temporary. Do you know how to deal with it? Or, or is this something that it'll go away in time? Or how are you thinking about this? I think the stigma is the worst part. The stigma of, first of all, you were an airborne infantryman with the 173rd. You've been in combat. You have your CIB. Uh, just that alone in and of itself is a battle every day because you're, you're the tough guy. You're the alpha. You're the 1% of the whatever, you know. You're the soldier. <laughs> you're the tip of the spear. Yes. And it's, I, I bought into it. I, again, drinking the Kool-Aid. I, I never thought that mental health was a thing. I didn't think that it was okay to speak up. I, I don't like to speak up about emotions in general. Now you're adding this multiple layers, right? And the stigma of, I don't want to be like every other veteran that I've always said I don't want to be like. Now I'm about to be that one. I'm different. Yes, yes I'm different. I can beat this. This isn't going to affect me. And then it hits you in the face like a four by four. All right. But if, but if we stop and think about it, and again, I don't want to put words into your mouth, Matt. It, what's your experience in, in Afghanistan? What's your expectations were going off to war? What you actually saw? It, doesn't it make sense that you would have these reactions when you came home? I mean, can you imagine going to war or going to Afghanistan or being in the military or being deployed, whatever your MOS may be, whatever your experience would be, that you come back, now you have to transition to civilian life, a completely different culture. Doesn't it make sense that you would have these reactions? Yeah, it does. Or some reaction. It does. And I, I remember vividly when we got back from Afghanistan in that immediate two- or three-week de-stress de period, right, where you're acclimatizing to the environment, you go through the post-deployment assessments. Were you exposed to blasts? Did you witness dead bodies? Did you Were you injured? All of these questions. And I remember at the time, I still had a singular focus of going back to the, the program, the uh, special operations program, as do most. You know, you, you've had this thing taken away. You want to go back. So... I like pretty much rejected all of the anything that was going on in my body because I was still I'm going back and I think I got back in like uh, June March or yeah March of 2013 November of 13 I was back at selection so I went on leave came home we did our EIB like I trained and I went right back I went right back to selection got injured again, and that was when I finally realized, like, uh, I'm not sleeping. I'm not uh, – my, my head is killing me. And I thought the head killing me was because at that time I was still coming off an injury, so um, I got moved into, like, a, a clerical position in my unit. And I did really good at it, so they kept me there. Um, I thought the headache was just from like the, the first sergeant and commander's like op tempo and the stress that I had. I didn't equate it to like blast exposure or firing this belt fed weapon day in and day out. And then you get out and you still have the same symptoms. And it's like, well, I'm not dealing with the nonsense of my leadership. Why am I, why is my jaw still killing me? Why, why is my head pounding every day? And I, I still have to operate. I got to run a business. Uh, I can't you have to run a family. Yeah, I gotta got a relationship. I have to take care of that. I've we got a new house. We got to renovate this house. Uh, I'm getting my MBA now. I I can't. You just keep going because that's what you're told. Soldier on objective. See the objective through the objective. Let me ask you if if I can. It's getting a little bit personal. If it's sure. too personal, let me know. But now you you you're married now. You've got a wife there. Are you aware of any withholding of intimacy, and I'm not talking about physical intimacy, but just closeness, letting this yeah. wife close to you. 
of letting her, the joy of being married, you know, the happiness of honey, dear, all of that sort of thing. I love you. Or, or is, is this intimacy still there or has it gone away? Or I mean, where are you with that relationship? You know, it's so easy for us as the veteran to say, I'm the one who's suffering. I'm having the headaches. I'm having the, the, the blast, uh, the results of the blast. I'm the one who's not sleeping. But is there any thought that's going off to this person who's my partner and should I be doing something for them? Unfortunately for her, it wasn't there. And I think that was a perfect storm because the business, this business was rapidly growing. And I dove headfirst into it because I wanted to be successful and I wanted to have this thing. Then you throw in, oh, let's get my MBA too. So now I'm doing that. We're, we're still renovating this house, like substantial renovations. Um, now we have a service dog, a German shepherd. So we have a dog to take care of. She's got a full-time job. Uh, and then you throw in the meds, you throw in the muting of the meds. And as much as I like to sit back and think things were great in hindsight and what I can see through the fog of those two years, I definitely disappeared and emotionally disappear. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, they, they take, and it's funny now because now that I've been off of everything, I don't take anything anymore. I just deal holistically with, with things that I've learned. Um, every now and then, like we, we still are in touch. We, you know, we share the dog. Uh, she'll take the dog every now and then, and we have conversations and she'll see me and she'll say, you're, you're so different. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I wish you could have seen post me because post me is who I was before I joined the military, right? Minus everything that I've learned in 14 years. But I'm back. Me. Who who I was is back. Would it be fair to say you in the driver's seat? You in control yeah. again? And yeah. it for four years it was clearly meds driving. I was so I was probably in the trunk. Yeah. Well, not only that, but many relationships struggle just when there's a remodeling project. <laughs> you know? yeah. not, not much. Uh, the, the the sharing of a common experience of you having been away at war that you can't explain. I mean, many of us shut down for that. You're going for an MBA. You've got the, the business to run. You've got all of these other other things going on. So so now take us back now you to, to where you have uh, worked on getting off of this medication at the end of 18 months. The, the marriage has failed. The business has failed. Pick up from there, and how do you move on from there now? You're seeing something different in these camps with Semper Fi and grateful to the Marines for accepting an Army buddy yeah, to, yeah, co- yeah. to come on. But So now you're seeing something different. This And, and this has got to be significant to you in your thinking because you're seeing a whole different way of approaching right. what your experiences were. I'll, I'll give Semper Fi a quick little plug. <laughs> so they, they have been above and beyond probably the greatest organization I've ever witnessed. And I very early on saw that and have done my best to be as close to them as I can be. Um, I know now I'm starting my own nonprofit, so there will be overlap. Overlap. But uh, when I first got out, they, they purchased a German shepherd for me and sent her through service training. And that dog has been a lifesaver at night. When Still I sleep. with you. So she's four and a half. She's, I wish you would have brought her today. Yeah, that would have been cool. That would have been she'd cool. She'd want to yeah. play catch with you the entire time we're in here. Well, we could have done that. But um, they they helped with, uh, when I had my business, they helped with that. They have amazing programs for um, for veterans, for disabled veterans. Um, and so, yes, so then when I sold the business, the first thing I did was told myself, I, I need to get back to what I enjoy. I the military and the business took up nine years of my life where I was so focused on those. Yeah, I traveled. I, I still had my life, but I wasn't doing things for me. Things kind of fell off, right? Because I was singularly focused on these things. So I started, um, golfing. I, I've been playing golf since I was five or six years old. I, I played in high school, uh, a little bit in college and, um, I've always been good at it. Not good enough to like be a PGA player, but good enough that I can hold my own. 
And I started playing, and I, I took a part-time job at a local golf course, uh, Fire Ridge. Uh, they saw that I was a vet. They were very open to it. They, they gave me a job. I, I literally just took this job so that I could work two days of work in the pro shop and uh, golf. I, I just wanted the free golf. All I wanted to do in 2020 was, and late 2019 was golf. Um, I probably played 125, 150 rounds of golf last year. I, I lived out on the course. I, I forgot how satisfying and therapeutic and relaxing it was. You're outside for four hours, and if you really want, you can put your phone, you can leave your phone in your car. It's just you and nature in the course. And I got to know uh, the head pro there. I have a really good relationship with him, one of the assistant pros as well, and a, a bunch of the members. The, the members, there's a lot of vets there. Uh, I didn't know this when I joined, but... You know, now I play golf with four or five of the members regularly. Most of them are vets, uh, a couple lawyers. I, I have this network of these people that kind of brought me back. They don't know this. I've never told this to them. But um, last year was like a rebuilding year for me. Figure out who you are. You're coming off these meds. You're coming off of nine years of who am I? And gradually I started going to camps. And I remember going to my first camp and it was, uh, it was a golf camp out in Colorado for Semper Fi Fund. There was about 20 of us there. And I remember seeing those people and thinking to myself, I don't belong here. What am I doing here? Why did I come on this trip? Two or three days in, everybody starts opening up, starts talking. Now you're bonding, the camaraderie, the, the stuff that you don't want to talk about, you start talking about because you're joking about it. And wait, wait, wait. Let me, let me, you can fool a lot of people, but on this one, you're not going to. There's more than just joking about it. What it, there isn't there the element of common experience? These guys get it. I trust them with this intimate experience of mine. I feel comfortable. These guys are where I belong because we're from the same background, same right. experience. It's not yeah. about the jokes. <laughs> You're right. And, and you know, veterans have a very sick sense of humor. Yes, so it's, it's one of the few places that you can let out the morbid details in, a, in an environment that, yeah, the first couple of times you're like, God, I hope people don't look at me weird. But they accept you. Yeah. And, and they can and they can up you. I mean, right. they, you know, they can. Oh, you you think that's something? Yeah. Well, listen to this yeah. one. Yeah. It's, it's it's humbling, but it's also very freeing at the yeah. same time. It is so therapeutic. Now, I can't speak highly enough about Semper Fi. This this past fall or uh, in spring, I went out to Aspen uh, Challenge Aspen. They they run this program called Camo, and it's. I went out for five days and I skied slopes in Aspen. Everything is funded by them. They fly you out first class, about as amazing as Semper Fi Fun. And I started connecting with uh, the gentleman out there, John, who runs their this portion of their organization. And at the time, I knew I wanted to do golf camps, but I, I still needed to figure out the ins and outs. And I had been put in touch with him from another friend, uh, an SF guy, actually, who I spent time in the WT with. And he had done an archery camp with them. And he said, you know, unlike some of these other organizations, these guys have mental health aspects. So you might go ski for six hours, but when you come in from the skiing, you're going to, tonight you're going to do 45 minutes of yoga. It'll be dumbed down for uh, vets that with mobility issues, but it's you're going to get the gist of it. You're going to understand what's going on. The next night it might be, um, but... These camps didn't quite have what I thought was enough mental health because I'm thinking, you've got these guys here. Why are we just giving them one class? Like, this should, this is the thing. The adaptive sports are great, right? We're getting people out. We're doing that. But, man, you are, you are missing the mark. My background is I have my MBA with uh, marketing, right? So I'm, I'm seeing these camps, and part of why I went to this camp uh, in, in Aspen was – to watch it and to absorb as much as I could. And when I got home, I said, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to set up a nonprofit. We're going to run four-day golf camps. The golf is what's going to get the attention, right? It's going to get the um, corporate corporate sponsors. Uh, people love to play golf. That's the thing. 
but I signed up the nonprofit as a mental health nonprofit to, to show people I'm serious about the mental health. Uh, my board of directors is very well-rounded. My president's a, a huge advocate in Milwaukee uh, with mental health. Um, so what we're going to do is each day you're going to have your structured golf lessons, and then midway through the day we're going to focus on 60 to 90 minutes of mental health and holistic resource training. So one day it's going to be proper nutrition and um, anything that has to do with nutrition that's holistic, giving them more understanding of how to eat properly, intake versus outtake, uh, any all of that. Uh, the next day it might be the yoga, uh, mindfulness, meditation, uh, breath work, sleep training, all of these resources so that when you go home, hopefully, even if you take one thing from the course, you're going to take it. And one thing that I learned and I, I really noticed at, at Aspen, not to knock on them because their program was great, but a lot of the programs kind of focus on doing the mental health at the end of the day. Well, I had never skied in my life, and I spent, I spent like 10 hours on a slope the first day. The last thing I wanted to do was like do yoga. I, I just, <laughs> I wanted to go to bed. Um, and I know that was the same uh, sentiments from everyone else. So I've learned, right? I've watched what works. And now the mental health is going to be right in the middle. So you, you, you're still fresh because you haven't played 18 holes yet. So you're going to get that. Then they're going to play 18 holes. Then there will probably be some semblance of dinner and then they'll go home. Um, so these camps are going to give these these veterans, and I'm also opening it up to first responders as well. The last year really taught me, and I had a really good conversation with a, another vet who owns a, a canine training a service dog thing out in uh, somewhere in Wisconsin as well. He was really helpful. He started telling me, you know, maybe you should look at involving first responders. And the more I thought about it, COVID really wreaked havoc on first responders. I have a lot of friends that are nurses across the country. I have one that's in New York City. She, talking to her last year, I've been through some stuff in combat. I, you know, you, you try and process what she's going through too. And we know how bad New York had it, like in New York. And I said to myself, this is perfect. Let's get first responders involved too because we as vets have been screaming about mental health at the top of the mountain for decades. Well, I think COVID is finally going to be the wake up for civilians to start like a paradigm shift is going to happen. And what I see happening is we get, let's say we get 15 vets at the course and five, uh, a smattering of a, a nurse, a EMT, uh, two firefighters, a police officer. The vets are going to act as mentors when they're out at lunch when they're doing these these um, resource training, playing 18 holes every day. They can act as mentors. They can talk to them. You know, this is what works for me. I've been dealing with PTSD. I'm a Vietnam vet. I've been dealing with it for decades. This is what works for me, I found. And we start bridging the gap first between the the, the first responders and, and the, the civilians and the, the veterans but now we're starting to get more attention because now we're not just focusing on vets. We're focusing on first responders, mental health, veterans. So many resources are out there that we can start connecting. And then they go back to their, they go back home or they go back to the, the station or wherever. And it's, it's going to pick up steam. Um, when I'm not running the camps, uh, I, I would like to eventually have, 10 to 12 camps per year in Milwaukee, uh, in and around Milwaukee. But then I, I want to work with PGA caliber courses across the country. And I've already Aspen's letting challenge Aspen and I are working on potentially running one out at the Broadmoor in Colorado this year. They, once these courses hear what we're doing, they're like, can we, can we bid out like multiple years on this? We want to be a part of it. So I want to have this national thing, but when I'm not running the camps, I am pursuing a um, licensed clinical social worker master's degree. I, I want to learn as much as I can so that local veterans and I go out one-on-one. -on -one. Maybe I have 10. I have 10 vets. And one-on-one -on -one we go out maybe every three weeks and we play nine holes. 
I get the vet out, whether it's in a cart or we're walking, depending on mobility, and we just start talking. Maybe that first round, right, we got to feel each other out. I, I get it. Who are you? Who am I? But we start talking. I've gone through it all, good and bad. In five short years, I have literally gone through everything you can go through as a veteran, both good and bad. The resources that I've gathered, the, the training that I'm going to go through, uh, opioid certificates, uh, trauma certificates, as this program uh, progresses, I think I have a very unique approach to how to cope and help these veterans cope out in the field and out when we're, we're golfing. And I think many vets that I talk to will tell me the same thing, right? The, the stigma of sitting one-on-one in a sterile environment with a psychologist, you know, you go to certain places and you just don't connect at all. And how are you supposed to tell a civilian what you've been through when they don't understand it? So I want to use this program down the road in some way, shape, or form as a pilot program. Take me, let me guinea pig this thing, let me show you that it works, and then maybe down the road we start to have other veterans getting into uh, this this field. And it doesn't have to just be for golf, any adaptive sport. You want to take a guy hunting and, and talk, or uh, you want to go sailing because you know how to do that. These things can be added, and they can be added to adaptive programs across the country. It's just developing that program as well. So at the end of the day, it is a nonprofit. It, it, it's golf, but it's mental health. It, it's doing everything I can to make sure that everything I went through doesn't happen because I know full well I got through it, but we see the numbers every day, how many vets don't get through it. And it might not just be because of the cessation, but the more resources you can give someone, the more likely they are to succeed and make it through. So, Couldn't, couldn't agree with you more in so many different ways, Matt. <clears throat> we are speaking with uh, Matt McDonald, a former infantry airborne uh, veteran of the Afghanistan war who has had his significant struggles in readjustment, not just for himself, but with his family. And he is sharing the experiences that he's had, but also now getting to the point of what he would like to turn around and uh, take his opportunities and his experiences in life and share those to improve the transition from the military to civilian life, not just for veterans, not just for military families, but he is, of course, adding the first responders, which I certainly agree with. And just adding to it on the first responders, you know, we talk about the first responders being on the front lines. Uh, That's a military term. And I think the only other professions that I've come across who have similar expectations as soldiers are the first responders because they have to look at themselves as having almost a, a superhuman abilities because they're trying to save lives. And how many people are trying to save lives and they're disappointed when they can't do it. And yet it's not really their responsibility. They remind me of medics a lot who are given this responsibility of trying to do on the battlefield, which most doctors can't do in a hospital. Uh, and yet they, they feel like they failed when, if something has gone wrong, which is never fair to the medic. But those struggles with the, with the medical profession of, of taking on this responsibility of something that is just so superhuman in a way. And they're not supposed to show cracks. They're not supposed to show that there's anything is wrong with them. And so they're suffering the same, very similar stigmas. Uh, and so I, I think that's really, really important. But the other thing that, and we, we spoke about this earlier, Matt, is yes, there's cognitive therapy. And yes, a lot of us don't, uh, these experiences from war or just from military, just from that background are very intimate to us. And so it's very difficult for us to find somebody in the mental health profession who we don't know that we're going to sit down and say, okay, yeah, I'll share this with you. The same as you would, the, you know, the, the Packer game on Sunday. It isn't that way. This stuff is so intimate to us. We need that trust. We need that special uh, interaction with somebody that we're going to be confident that we can share this from. And it's not fair to say, at least for me to say, that mental health professionals can't get there, but uh, they have to learn to get there a little bit better. And, and I think 
they're not going to be able to do it all on their own. So the, 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 the alternatives that you're adding to this, the, the healthcare treatment, the dieting, the yoga, these are things that healthy people do. Uh, so this is offering to veterans the complete package of learning to live a healthy life in so many ways. And, and, and you might be taking on the responsibility, or so you think you're taking on the responsibility of offering this to uh, all veterans. But your organization is also, you're not alone in this. You've got people that are working with you who are similarly qualified and are, are just as passionate about helping you to offer these new um, I, boy, I'm, I'm always caught with the word, uh, are these healing aspects or whatever, or, or healthy, healthy living uh, strategies, whatever you want to call them. But you've got other people with you who are also going to be walking these golf courses with them and, and uh, offering these other, these other solutions for them. But before I give you a couple of minutes to, to continue, I, I have to go back sure. because this is, I mean, you say that when you're back struggling with this, uh, you woke up and you're coming down the stairs and I'm sorry to take you back this far, but you're taking you back and you said, I needed to go and get my pistol off the table next to the bed. Mm-hmm. That struck me because it, it hits me. There are so many of us as veterans who are armed when we come home, who remain hypervigilant, who walk the perimeter at night to make sure the doors are locked, the windows are locked, but we have the weapons in our house. You are very, very aware of that, but very, very wise and clever right away to lock those up and give those keys to somebody that worked for you. I, I don't need for you to really go back and share that time, but what a powerful thing for you to do, to be aware that you might be in danger. And, and only minutes later thought, I almost killed myself. that's just a powerful point and it's still it's still hard to talk about it but at the same time i know i need to um i I don't want to take you back so you talk about it it's not that it's It's powerful that you mentioned it i understand that what i went through vets go through every day civilians go through every day we all go through it not in that exact situation but it's a real thing. And I, I definitely drank the Kool-Aid when I was younger thinking mental health was a joke. Um, oh, if you can't handle it, you're weak. Yeah. That was just the, that was a stigma. Right. And that's not just being a vet. That was a stigma when you were younger as well as so many other stigmas that, I mean, we just saw what happened with uh, the, the tennis player. Um, with mental health. I think she's like 23 or 24. She's one of the best tennis players in the world. And even when she spoke up at first, there was pushback. I get it. it, It's a a delicate subject. But at the same time, we're all human. We all have emotions, some more than others. Uh, But you got to speak up. And... I don't know what I don't know what got me through that moment. I I honestly don't. I don't know do, why. Do you think we need to know what got you through or do you think we need to share the message that if this happens, here's a quick reaction because that reaction can only last for a couple of minutes and if you get the keys away, you've you've worked yourself through that to the next level of thinking. But it's that reaction immediately that said, I got this gun, I've got to lock it up. And, and that's, I think there are programs where you can take the gun and give it away for a couple of days. And I don't want to really get off on that as no, much I because I want to keep you on your, your, the good work that you're doing. Sure. Uh, but it's really the awareness that this, this reaction can happen. And when that reaction happens and you're aware of that gun and you can lock it up, take that minute and lock it up. Take that minute and give it away. Do something um, is, is that a fair thing to say? I mean, I admire you for sharing that. And I think that has happened to many, many more of us uh, than we're aware of. But it's that quick reaction to take, uh, to take some action. Without, I, again, I, I don't I want to take you back. There. No, no. I, I think it's a loaded question because in the moment, it, it's visceral. You're in the moment. I, I had never been in a position to think like that. And for the thought to go... And even even leading up to the moment where I told myself, lock the guns, even when I said that, leading up to that, there was never a thought of putting, taking my life. Yeah. It just was like, I know I'm in, I, I know I have zero control over myself. I can't even see straight. Get the stuff out of the house that could potentially end my life. 
out of here right now. And I, I did. And it, it it's hard now to hear, to talk to you and to talk to people about it, the close people to me, and they say, oh, you know, it's, it's so great, but it could have went the other way. Sure so I just keep telling myself, you're resilient enough to get through this. Maybe the, re- the military taught you enough resiliency training to get through this stuff. Now you got to get the word out. Like this has become a singular mission for me to make sure that every single vet and first responder and eventually, you know, civilians too, because it's not just the meds. It can be anything else, uh, mental health, like get the resources and these resources, uh, yoga, mindfulness, uh, deep breathing, like even in the moment, some of these things, they're proven to help. We know they help. So. I need to be a conduit and give this stuff out because I don't want it to happen. I don't want to get a phone call um, that so-and-so committed suicide that I deployed with because, oh, well, what's the background? Well, he was in isolation. No one, like, this This is not acceptable. I, I agree with you. That's why we do the podcast. I can't turn my back on it because I've been there. And how do we go and find everybody wherever we can, hiding in their basement, isolating, to give them some help? But let me ask you this, Matt. I'm going to give you an opportunity sure. here now. This is the good part. You haven't put a name to your program. You haven't put a name to the project. You haven't put a name my to how can somebody find you? Where so do we much. get information? So the uh, organization is Next Tell us more. Next 18. It's currently Next next18.org and we currently just have a landing page but you can get a hold of me through there we have a a form so that they can reach out and I can share information with them we have information we haven't even gone uh, public yet we haven't done our press release our first camp is uh, September 28th through October 1st and then October 12th through the 15th my board of directors is all so very well encompassing that they are helping with every aspect of this. Uh, I've got an amazing advisory. Uh, as we talked before, the War Memorial um, in Milwaukee, the CEO, Dan, has been amazing. Um, this thing's going to take off. Yeah. The, the amount of support that I am getting is its kind of scary. It's good scary. Yeah. But um, yeah, come it, on, you're a soldier. You said you weren't scared, so I. Uh, it, <laughs> it's don't this, be scared. This thing of that. that I've thought about for almost two full years is ninety days away from happening. Fire Ridge up in Grafton has been so amazing with allowing me to run these two camps. They're going to be the proof of concept. We're going to uh, news, TV. We're going to have um, gather everything that we can. Testimonials, the the, the photos, the marketing the marketing so that i can start showing people and right now we are just focusing on the golf camp i i don't think i want to move into any of the counseling obviously because of um certifications and what i need to do properly so that i can properly do this stuff uh when i'm not running the camps but the i've already reached out to local courses next year um i want 10 12 camps if i get the amount of people locally that i think will sign up for it We'll already have 10 to 12 camps next year. The The local pros in the area at courses that I've talked to, they all want to donate their time to do the lessons in the morning. It, it's, yeah, let, I, let, I'm me, so let me excited. ask you this. When you say you've been thinking about this for two years and, and you're afraid, wouldn't it be fair to say, be afraid that you won't do it? Be, be more concerned that you won't do it because uh, for those of us who have been where you have been in our own way to, on some level, uh, either as veterans uh, or, or as first responders, uh, one of the aspects of getting through this and getting to a point where you're now, as you say, you're clean and healthy is you know what it's like to be there and there's a passion that's healing for us to want to help these other people. And we're, we're not going back there because you love golf. You're going back there because you know what it's like to get through these, these horrible physical, psychological, spiritual challenges. Uh, and it's healing for you too, isn't it? Come on, be honest. It, it is a hundred percent. And yeah. to think that I, I think back to when I was a little kid and I, I, I was good at golf varsity, right? Captain. I, I, I've been playing golf a long time and I remember, I think my mom or my dad when I was younger said something about the lines of like, if you can ever figure out how to make golf a wow. career for you, wow. you know, and I took that as, 
well, that's like the PGA Tour. That's that's not possible. I'm not that good. Um, and here I am. It's nothing to do 25 with 25 years later, uh-huh. and this could potentially be the the rest of my life. What and a wonderful story! What a wonderful story! It, it's it, it maybe maybe there, there's some blame on your parents for not saying you didn't have the insight to say play golf so you can help after war. Right, <laughs> you know, right. who who could have possibly known that? But wonderful! What a wonderful result to this. So take a minute and tell us something on closing here uh, with this wonderful story and this educational story on what you would do differently and how to avoid the stigma. Just take the stigma, forget it, throw it out the window. It's not getting you anywhere. You're going to have to face it sooner or later anyways. I have learned post-military that mental health is probably the most important thing to take care of because if, if your mental health is lacking, you're not eating right, you're not sleeping right, you're not taking care of those around you properly, you're just not living a full life. And it is very, it can be very insidious. It, it comes out of nowhere, and you don't even know what's happening while it's happening. But if it ever gets to a point where it just doesn't, you just don't feel like you, and you, you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, just you got to say something. And if you're, you're, those around you see it, I would rather someone approach me and deal with me being angry than me not being there at the end of the day. Uh, here's the way that I think about it. A lot of us had learned that we're the veterans. We were off in the service doing that sort of thing. So we're the center of, of uh, the healthcare unit at, at home. Dr. Lee from the VA came on once and he spoke and he said, the family is really the, the, um, the tragedy of war, uh, the victim of war. And, and there's something like that. Would you agree that it's important for us to think as the family, as the center of the healthcare unit? So even if we're struggling as veterans, we can tell our family, I know there's nothing you can do, but I want you to feel comfortable that I'm getting help. Or here's some place, I'm going to get you resources so you'll have a place to go so you can understand and, and get some education on how to deal with me or as a military family. Is that important? Absolutely. I watched firsthand the, the toll that it took, uh, and I, you know, you come home and no one has experienced what you've experienced on top of it. You've been away for years while they've gone on and there needs to be, there definitely needs to be better resources. And I know there are programs out there, but I think they're few and far between. And the ones that are out there are great. It's just, we need, we need more of them because the families, yeah, you're right. It, it, they don't know how to process it. We don't know how to process it sometimes, so how can we expect them to? I think we're all getting to a point where, <clears throat> as veterans, we're starting to realize that and we're doing more. But thank God there's guys like you out there that are turning us around and, and wanting to come back in because it's more valuable than anyone else to have the experienced people coming back in and providing these resources that want to make it better. And, and also connecting with other uh, uh, other existing uh, organizations that are out there. Like you said, Sempify, you might overlap, but the overlap is going to be good. It's going to be positive. So thank you very much for coming and sharing this with you. And I have a feeling we're going to be inviting you back and have you come back and tell us uh, in a couple of months how your first camps went, if that'll be all right with you. Uh, absolutely. I would love it. And I'd love to have you out to the camps too. So thank well, you so much. Just say, Mike, do you want to come? Do you want to golf? Mike? I'll be there. All right. <laughs> All right. We have been speaking with uh, Afghanistan veteran of former Army and uh, Infantry and Airborne uh, deployed in 2012-2013, um, McDonald. And I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, your comments are always most welcome for us uh, and important to us at uh, the Orman Foundation for Veterans.org. And you'll also find uh, more resources available for you there, whether they're health care, whether they're outings, whether they're things for your family, resources for your family, whether they're mental health. There's quite a few resources there, and we're building on them all the time. So please check out our website for those uh, important resources. And of course, we want to make sure that everybody's aware, this is very, very important, that you can find a human voice and somebody who's actually there to speak to by uh, contacting the Veterans Crisis Line. And that telephone number is one 800 273 8255, and then press the number one. You can also text them at 838-255-CHAT. 
There's another one for abused spouses that we I only heard of yesterday, and I'm going to be posting that. That'll be available probably tomorrow or at least by Monday, so we'll have that additional text and phone number for you as well. So for... Uh, oh, and I want to remember, because this is very, very important to us, we are brought to you uh, by a special resource from the Charles E. Kubley Foundation. Uh, and check out their website as well, because they deal in a lot. A lot of us speak about depression, but for many of us who have faced the, the thought of the concept of, uh, of uh, suicide, there have been a lot of painful years of depression that come before that. Many of us don't just get up and think about suicide. There's a lot of mental health struggles. I won't even call them mental health struggles, but just depression struggles. And Charles E. Kubley Foundation is very, very much aware of that and spends all of their time and their efforts in helping to improve our awareness of depression. So for uh, our co-host, uh, Bob Bach, and for Aaron Schroffnagel, uh, this has been the Stigma Free Vet Zone. So please uh, tune in again. And again, your comments are always welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is always welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, resolution, and togetherness on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Please consider donating at OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org forward slash donate. As a thank you, you'll receive a free copy of the book Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War by Michael Orban. Receive your free copy by donating at OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org forward slash donate. On behalf of Michael Orban, this is Bob Bach. Thanks for joining us and please tune in again.